You're listening to Mukha Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Well, it keeps you conscientized on what's happening in the world of our law and many of our astute attorneys and advocates alhamdulillah are doing a brilliant job uh, a brilliant job on Mukha Sahaba the voice of the Ahlus Sunnah wal Jamaa and one of them happens to be our very own uh, attorney Mahmoud Mia Tony Mahmoud Mia, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me, how are you doing this fine, uh, beautiful evening? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, doing well with the grace of Allah, except for the darkness that we're experiencing with all this uh, load shedding. I think that's the only thing that we all now sort of uh, fighting about. But uh, Allah Ta'ala knows best, you know. So uh, the thing is that, um, you know, this, this darkness is something that we need to think about. Um, once I was attending an ijtima many years ago in, uh, it was uh, actually in uh, Newcastle or one of the places. And uh, at that time, you know, the lights dropped and, you know, one of the elders was giving a talk. And then, you know, he quite eloquently said, look, that this darkness is something that we have to prepare for because the cupboard is our ultimate abode. And, you know, that place, the cupboard can either be a place of darkness and, 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 you know, pain and misery, or it can be a place of beautifulness, you know. So we have to prepare for that. So this is just signs for us to, to, to accept that, you know, that darkness is there, but darkness brings many lessons with it. So we have to prepare for those lessons. You know, it's, uh, you so beautifully brought that in, uh, Mahmoud. And this is what I appreciate uh, from you is, you know, you bring in a lot of uh, tranquility, a lot of uh, spirituality on the show, just like your good friend, uh, senior attorney Ashraf Isup. And you're a senior attorney too. But Alhamdulillah, I love that in you all. And, you know, uh, we being an Islamic uh, platform, and Alhamdulillah, our listeners really resonate uh, beautifully with that. And it's also stated the forgetfulness of death is the rust of our heart. And, you know, uh, Molana Yunus Patel, Rahimullah, used to say it so beautifully, Adilko Chamkado, with the zikrullah, Allah, Allah, you know, and so forth. And as you talk about load shedding, you talk about many things happening in this country. And we look at uh, ourselves as a human beings, you know, the quality of sabr, the quality of uh, having patience, especially in uh, trying conditions. And uh, patience is one of those qualities that our Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu had in abundance. And it's something that, uh, you know, we need to cultivate as Muslims. And I don't know, I perceive you someone as with a lot of uh, cool, calm and collected mannerism, but a lot of patience. Uh, am I correct in my assumptions, uh, Mahmoud? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, we all try. The thing is like, you know, sabr is such an easy word, but to put it into practice, it obviously takes lots of practice and lots of effort, you know. So the thing is that many times, I mean, Allah Ta'ala speaks of sabr and, you know, together with, with sort of other qualities, but the thing is that to, to you know for us to have that true sabr, I mean that is the lesson that we learn from our from our from our beloved Nabi Karim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who experienced such amount of sabr under very testing and like, difficult conditions. And we take the same lessons from all the other Ambiya Ambiya like as an Ayyub Salam with all the sickness, how much sabr they basically uh, you know uh, exercise as an Ibrahim Salam, they put into the fire, but you know, accepting Allah's decree, you know, exercising patience. And so, so these are all the lessons that we have to learn. So sabr is a very small word, but it's a big meaning and lots of effort required to give full effort, you know, for a person to say, I can definitely exercise sabr under all conditions. We are all in sun. We all have weaknesses. We all have faults. 
Um, and again, Allah Ta'ala tests us with all of these conditions to test our sabr, you know, but then Allah Ta'ala gives so much of reward also for those people that show sabr at times of adversity. So we have to also show sabr now, and then at the same time we show shukr also, because at least we are not in total darkness all the time. We still have power, we still got homes, we still got everything else, so we make shukr for that, and we pray, inshallah, that all this darkness ends. So we show sabr for that, and hopefully in our patience, Allah will bring afiat, inshallah. No, inshallah, I mean, and you know, I recall even the story of Yaqub alayhi salam when he lost, uh, you know, Yusuf alayhi salam, when the brothers put him in that well and so forth, and uh, the big story there. But his patience, you know, was such a comely patience, and uh, the reward you could see in the Noble Quran. Fascinating uh, surah indeed, uh, 111 verses of uh, Surah Yusuf. And you know, Mahmoud, you talk about load shedding, and I was just thinking, uh, you know, in my mind whilst you're talking about it. Uh, I mean, those bakers, when they get load shedding, uh, so much of wastage and you get uh, production houses. I mean, the big ones, are they are actually giving the government an ultimatum. If you're going to uh, have this problem, you're going to leave the country and move on and so forth. But uh, the point I want to make, how does it affect uh, uh, perhaps, you know, you're having a, a case early in the morning and uh, you go to court and there's uh, suddenly load shedding. Or are the courts all ready? Because hospitals don't have... Uh, you know, I mean, affected by load shedding. That's quite amazing. Uh, the president is not affected by it. The, the deputy president is not affected by it. And some cabinet ministers. But a, a basic, essential places like hospitals are affected by it. Mahmoud, I want to know, uh, you know, your, your viewpoints. And, uh, you know, what type of uh, people are representing us when uh, at the expense of the masses, uh, they, they're immune to what's really going on. What's your thoughts, uh, Mahmoud? No, exactly. So look, I mean, like you said, now, you know, this has such far-reaching consequences. Um, this morning now in Johannesburg, we were off from 8.30 to 12.30. So it means that half of the day, uh, working day is now gone by. Um, okay, we have, we have to now, you know, implement, uh, you know, uh, putting up generators and inverters and the like to try and keep you going, but it doesn't give you 100% um, access. So it means that your, your work capacity is now reduced. Um, as an employer, you're still obliged to pay your staff the salary, notwithstanding the fact that they now can't work. And the example that you gave of like bakeries and that, I mean, that is so, so true because, I mean, they can't produce and then they can't meet the demands and that creates shortages. And that then obviously has issues, I mean, indirect issues of uh, price hikes. Uh, and then in terms of the courts and the hospital, I mean, the courts, um, they all don't have, I mean, like power supply. So it means that, so you can imagine if a person is due to have a case and now you, you arrive at court with your attorney and now there's no power because, I mean, they can't do the recording and the like. It means that the, the matter can't go on. Now that poor person, he basically uh, now still has to pay the cost of his attorney, but now he has to attend court on, on another day as well. So it's so, you know, it's, it's, it's really so disruptive. Um, and the thing is that, you know, the powers that be are not giving us, you know, a, a short while ago, uh, our president gave us many promises, you know, this will be something of the past and we're going to make uh, alternate means. But actually, it's gone worse now. So one really doesn't know what to expect anymore. And it's so sad because, I mean, you know, everything is being, you know, being affected. You, you drive on the roads, the robots don't work. So people are now obviously driving. People become impatient. People become reckless. There's more accidents taking place. You know, all of these are all the side effects of just not having power. 
So we hope that, um, that you know, they're having these urgent meetings and again, they're making promises. But, you know, are those going to be promises that are true or are those going to be promises that are going to be empty like we've been receiving up to now? So I think we also have to, as a public, we have to start airing our views and start being a bit more, uh, you know, proactive in, in, in sort of, you know, raising complaints um, and to say, listen, you know, when is this going to end? Because we've got everything there and this is not as a result of a new country that's just being it's starting its own development. This is a country that had everything. And this is now out of pure neglect. We are seeing the consequences of the thievery and the and the and, and you know all the wrongs that they were doing. We are now finding you know, we are now having those consequences coming up now because there's been no maintenance whatsoever. And that's why we are now sitting, you know, with this major problem. Hey Mahmoud, you say that uh, you know very eloquently indeed. Uh, but looking at I mean Lots of them went to Plan B. I mean, I'm looking at the universities. Uh, certain universities have uh, uh, bought big these uh, generators, and you know, some are running on fuel, some running on uh, on diesel, and so forth. But look at the price of fuel and uh, diesel. I mean, now I heard uh, you know the other day a uh, few of the uh, lecturers were complaining to me. He says, you know, if this carries on, I don't know how the university is going to meet the budget because all the budget is going into buying fuel and uh, you know getting powered. Uh, Generated. Are your thoughts on that? No, exactly. In fact, this morning I, I I had a discussion with one of my clients. They they have one of one of the like major meat wholesalers in Johannesburg, um, and they were saying that obviously to preserve the meat, they had to put in I mean like generators at a phenomenal cost. First of all, just the installation, and now they're saying that on a daily basis it's costing up to like thirty thousand rands to run those generators because you obviously mega to be able to run those freezers and cold rooms and the like. So. So, so they're not really bleeding. Now, ultimately, that cost is, has to be passed on to the consumer. But now you can't, you can't increase the, the cost of meat because you're now paying for the fuel. Because, I mean, that's going to create a kind of an uproar. People won't be able to afford to buy meat now. So you're right. I mean, this thing is having such a ricochet effect that really it's going to cripple many, many an organization because you want to be up and going, but the cost of fuel is so prohibitive that for you to run these generators, I mean, it's, 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 quite, it's quite an expensive procedure. Uh, at my own office, I know I'm paying like maybe three, 400 rands a day just to, just to buy fuel to sort of run those like generators. So it can give you an idea that that's an, you know, an unnecessary cost and an unexpected cost, and you obviously have to bear that. You know, you know Mahmoud, I don't know. You've got a knack of tickling me. Now, if you've got tenants, is it uh, obligatory on you as a landlord to buy them a generator? No, actually, not from a legal point of view. I mean, I mean, it's because this is not something that is attributable to the landlord. I mean, if, for example, um, you know, you have um, a system in your property that fails, you know, because of neglect or whatever else, then obviously in terms of the law, you are obliged to then uh, give them access to the place in terms of a lease and as well to supply the like, utilities. But in a case like this here, this is not something which is within the control of the landlord. These are for circumstances beyond his control. He's got the, he's got the, uh, the, the means to supply the power, but if the government is not supplying the power, then obviously you can't own him liable for that, you understand. So unfortunately, in a case like that, the tenants can't insist that the landlord must now you know, put in all these extra supply mechanisms. Okay, landlords, uh, unless uh, you have a prior agreement, you know, when they came in and you signed the dotted lines and said, yeah, in case of this, uh, I will do this and that. But uh, I think, uh, you know, wise enough, you wouldn't be doing like uh, things like that. But, uh, you know, uh, cleaner energy they're talking about. And uh, 
We noticed that that was advocated by America and, uh, you know, uh, the European general. But uh, have you noticed, uh, Mahmoud, that uh, both, uh, the, the uh, 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 Europe is going back to coal energy? They have started operating on coal because uh, Russia had uh, closed, uh, closed all the gas uh, taps uh, to them. Have you noticed that? But still, uh, I believe the last conversation that Biden had with uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, I said, close all your coal mines and get into green energy and we'll give you so many billions of dollars. Uh, I mean, which is not on. Your thoughts on that? <laughs> it's only because they want our coal, you understand. So, I, so Absolutely. That's, that's okay. So the whole okay. world is in, is, in, is in Dhaka, you know, in this whole deception. So what the West says, um, ostensibly to to give you a better standing and ostensibly to improve your positions, in fact, designed to, to provide for their needs to your detriment. And this has been the whole history now, you know, that, uh, you know, of, of the world. And even now we see that uh, with, the, with the Queen having died recently, um, we now obviously see also now how, how, how that pans out. You know, will all the people who form part of the Commonwealth now raise arms and try and get out of it? Um, you know, will the new king now make amends from all the all that they stole from us? Right now, in fact, if they can give us back our jewels, it can help us plenty to like set up a new ESCOM. Yeah, forget the ESCOM. The looters will be even more happier. They say, hey, hey, we got it before Christmas. Let's go for it. I mean, it's such a it's such a tragedy in this country that uh, it's just, uh, you know, they're taking and they say entitlement and, you know, it's our time. I mean, they say so uh, openly, it's our time to eat. And, you know, you can see it in the waistline, so how much they're eating. But Allah, Alam. Moving on, uh, Mahmoud, and we look at the Azan case, uh, you know, that uh, went on a review again. Uh, what was your thoughts? Sorry, I, I just missed you for a minute there. Now, we talk about the Azan, uh, you know, the case that uh, our brothers have been uh, appealing it. Uh, and you know, you remember the, the, the first time it was said, oh, you have to lower it and so forth. I mean, this country, we have a right of religion. Uh, there is our constitutional right to it. And uh, suddenly there was someone that came through, made a complaint and uh, perhaps got his way. Uh, your thoughts on that, Mahmoud? Yeah, look, the thing is that, um, you know, people... Um, throughout history, Islam has always had um, enemies. Islam has always had challenges. But ultimately, because we know that our deen is pristine and our deen is pure and our deen is the only true deen, Allah Ta'ala will always protect this deen. So there's always been many challenges to the Azan, you know, here in, in the South African context, um, in Johannesburg as well. Um, you know, initially there were many objections to the Azan, but all of that got resolved, you know, like with the Qudrat of Allah. This issue this, that's happening now in Durban, this is clearly uh, a, a person who is totally uh, opposed to Islam, a person who in his own words says that he doesn't recognize Islam as being a true religion or a, or a religion for that matter at all. Um, and and uh, he will obviously be dealt with Allah Ta'ala, but um, we're quite confident, I mean, the people that... Uh, did present the case. I know them quite well. Alhamdulillah, everything went off well, and we we quite certain that uh, you know the result will be will be positive. Um, so you know the thing is that um, the objections that I raise here now it's 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 quite strange, especially in this particular context, because the Darul Ulum is next to the person's house, and the Darul Ulum they don't amplify the azan, and yet is complaining about it. But at the masjid. They obviously do amplify the azan, which also reaches his ears, but there's, there's been no objection to that. So it's clearly a case of just being like malicious, uh, you know, in his uh, in his efforts. You know? So 
Um, and I think that from what I've gathered about the case so far, it's quite clear that the court could see that, uh, you know, this is not something that's done with any merit or with any sound foundation. It's done purely out of malice and out of pure viciousness, you know. And uh, so, inshallah, we hope that, um, you know, that result will will be uh, will be overturned by the Supreme Court of Appeal. Uh, looking at the first judgment, uh, did the uh, judge err in his uh, decision? Um, yeah, well, I mean, like he certainly did. Uh, that's why the Supreme Court of Appeal uh, allowed, you know, his decision to be appealed against. So normally when a matter goes to the high court, if there is a decision made by a particular judge, if you want to appeal against that decision, then you need to go back to him and tell him that, listen, I will believe that another judge would have reached a, a different decision, so allow us to appeal. He would, If he then agrees, then he would give you leave to appeal. In this particular case, after the decision, when we went back to him again to say, look, that another court may find differently, he said no. Um, he doesn't believe so, so he refused leave to appeal, and that's why now the matter was now petitioned to the Supreme Court of Appeal, which is the highest court in the land. And that court is now entertaining uh, the appeal, which means that they were of the view that the matter is um, appealable um, and it and, and is obviously merit in the appeal. And that's why the matter was now heard. Now, Allah forbid, if we, uh, the decision is not favorable, then you go to the Constitutional Court, uh, Mahmoud. You could, you could then make an approach to the Constitutional Court. That's correct. And that would then be the sort of last port of call, you know, so so that, that court would then have the final say. Um, if this doesn't uh, come out positive. And uh, there you got a bigger bench, eh? Yeah, you got a smaller bench, and there's a bigger bench. Too yeah, many. so you have five, and there you'll have ten judges. So <laughs> it's quite eh? big. Yeah, Imagine. The constitutional court, yes. And then when Allah has his court, there's only one, one judge. I mean, the one, the king, the sovereign. He makes an ultimate decision and the ultimate punishment. Either it's heaven or hell. Now, Mahmoud, what uh, you know? What does this cost to go to, you know, to appeal and so forth? It must be a, a, f- a fantastic amount, um, Mahmoud. Yeah, look, it is uh, it is quite expensive because um, you know the Supreme Court of Appeal, their sort of procedures are, are, are quite onerous in the sense that you know the entire court record uh, has to be compiled. It has to be then put into uh, a very particular format, um, and then that has to be, I mean, like submitted to them in sort of like multi because it's five uh, five judges, so you have to have like five copies of that, and it's 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 given them in hard copy as well as electronically, and then obviously because it's in like Bloemfontein, you need to have I mean a correspondent attorneys there that that sort of do all the processing for you. Um, and then uh, the people that go to obviously in this case it was done for the pleasure of Allah. But normally, if you if you are employing normal senior counsel, it can be very very expensive because their fees are quite expensive. And with all the preparation that goes in and the actual argument, it can run into hundreds of thousands of names, if not millions, sometimes. This quality of giving, eh? this quality of empathy, this quality of compassion, that quality. Uh, to serve my deen in a, what little way I will do it. But, you know, I don't want to see, I want the reward from uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I wonder how many, uh, you know, other religions have this type of conviction. Like we Muslims, we like we feel Allah implicitly, we feel him right deep within us. Uh, Mahmud, am I correct in my assumptions? 
No, you're quite correct, but but you know, but you know, lo and behold, I mean, the thing is that uh, you know sometimes Bartil uh, is so ingrained in people that they believe that their dean is is right. So um, so in you know from a Christian point of view as well, there are many people who obviously fund uh, I mean like Christian uh, matters if they feel that that is now you know infringed upon their like, religious beliefs. Um, so. Uh, you know, the, in fact, there is a case that's coming up to the Supreme Court of Appeal as well, and this is now arising from the time of COVID when the court had imposed restrictions and shut down the masjids and all of that. So, 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 you know, that 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 whole thing um, is now it will probably come up in about January or February in the Supreme Court of Appeal. So, that is a case in which the Muslim Lawyers Association is involved in um, as an applicant in one of the matters. Uh, but that matter is being heard together with some other matters that that were launched by Christian organisations. Um, and you know, so in so in those kind of instances, um, those matters are also funded, um, you know, by people. Uh, of the like uh, people who have an affinity to the Christian religion, so they do also make that kind of effort. But from our point of view, because we understand, um, you know, how much Allah appreciates when people stand up for his deen. So Alhamdulillah, from from the legal point of view, in many many instances, many lawyers and advocates render their services for free, just to to to, to ensure that there isn't any kind of an uh, you know any kind of an impeachment on on our deen. And Allah bless all of those who have given you know their time and their effort in this regard. You know, whilst you're talking, I was thinking about uh, the in RSS marching there in Leicester. And uh, Yawur Beg, I made the point there. He said, you know, the Hindus and the Muslims in that part of the world in UK lived in a, a very cordial relationship. They never had this uh, scenario before, but all of a sudden. And many say that uh, these RSS members uh, that came into the UK or in Leicester uh, came from uh, India to come and, uh, you know, cause havoc in that country. And it's frightening, like, you know, this type of uh, uh, Hindutva is, uh, is, 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 is on the increase. And in what they're doing in India is horrendous because even the the judiciary has been captured uh, by this uh, movement. And even uh, Narendra Modi himself is, uh, you know, acquiescing in silence. Uh, as Muslims, I mean, there's a Muslim brother that sent out uh, a footage saying, you know, as men to men, we can take you on. But we are law-abiding citizens. We don't cause uh, you're instigating us. You're throwing uh, bottles at us. You, you know, you you you're desecrating the mosque. You know, doing uh, funny things. You know, such testing times. But someone told me this, uh, Mahmoud. They said uh, this is a policy that was, uh, you know, ushered in by the British government. They ushered in Zionism. They, uh, you know, ushered in fascism, and they, they they created these RSS. They created the Zionist movement and so forth. Uh, many say it is uh, a repercussion that will, in the UK, will haunt the British government for what they did, or the uh, British monarchy uh, for what they did. How do you read uh, this, uh, Mahmoud? Yeah, I, I sort of agree with your sentiments there, because, I mean, it's, it's quite clear that right now, if you look at India, I mean, uh, India's sort of biggest ally right now is Israel. And Israel, we know, is a pure Zionist state. Um, so all of these things are all prompted by the Zionists because, I mean, they also have uh, Islam as, uh, you know, as an enemy um, and, and they they see Islam as an enemy. And so obviously they've now inculcated that within the sort of Indian government. Um, so you can understand from the Indian government point of view, uh, they obviously want to increase the status of, of India from a worldly point of view to make India become um, a power to be reckoned with. Um, and, and for that, uh, India needs to have allies. 
um, and to have an ally like Israel comes at a cost. So, and the cost is, well, then you obviously got to fight our enemy, which is Islam, um, and you must make it as difficult for them as possible. And so even though there's all of this happening in India, and, I mean, India has got so many trade partners, and none of them have actually raised any kind of an objection of what to say, look, stop stop doing this to the Muslims or whatever, we'll stop trading with you. Uh, and unfortunately, even the sort of Arab states that are, that are dealing with India haven't taken any kind of a real stance. So this is, again, just in terms of world politics, and this is the way, you know, the, the, the like say, tenet of the world works, where all the people, they're only concerned about material well-being uh, and, and, and just, uh, you know, all those in power are just there to secure their own power, um, and that's what happened. So basically, um, in trying to fulfill their own desire to maintain their power and to become this kind of despots, they would do anything, uh, including, you know, attack innocent people and to attack, you know, our, our beautiful deen. But again, you know, these these people don't understand that once you become an enemy of Allah, then you then you can never win. So you 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 may have some kind of victory now in this earth. I mean, like for the time being, but that but that is that is only going to be short lived because ultimately the deen will prevail. So and the and the enemies of Islam will be destroyed. If not in this world, then they will obviously get it in the in the akhirah. So we just have to be strong as Muslims and say, listen, we must lend our support. To any cause of Islam, we must lend our support to any attack on Islam. But again, we always want to do it within within the confines of the law. We don't want to be, you know, ending up fighting battles on the streets and killing people unnecessarily. People need to be taught, and that brings us back to where we always talk about that as Muslims, we must project our deen in such a way that people must be encouraged to come towards it. So that's a lesson for us to learn that if we don't look after our deen then our deen will come under attack. If we don't portray ourselves as Muslims, then there won't be any attraction for people to come towards Islam. So we have to improve ourselves and create, you know, that, that beautiful example of Huzur Park Sallallahu and in that way, inshallah, we'll get the help of Allah and at the same time, we'll attack others towards Allah. You know, Mahmoud, what was uh, really, uh, you know, startling was, uh, yeah, there was an attack on the Muslims. Uh, these guys were marching and chanting, uh, the, you know, their mantras and so forth. And you know vulgarity, but uh, the police that were there, uh, they did nothing at all. They actually did nothing at all. They didn't, uh, you know, uh, uh, take action. And the same thing happens in India, where you know when the people are being attacked, uh, the police uh, doesn't uh, take action. What's your thoughts on that, uh, Mahmoud? Exactly, and, I, and and this again just gives impetus to the to the view that these things are all prearranged and contrived. It's not something that just happens spontaneously I mean, at the spur of the moment. These things have been planned um, and the powers that be are informed prior that this is what's going to happen. And they then give instructions to the law enforcement, just stay back and just, you know, let them just do whatever they want to do. So, I mean, this is something that happens very often, um, you know, in these kind of like situations because, you know, all the all the enemies plan together and they obviously stand together, you know, and, and, and so again, um, you know, it's it, it's something that we just have to be uh, to be wary of. That these kind of things um, don't just happen spontaneously, and they are pre-planned. And again, um, as Muslims, we need to understand that um, you know anybody who's not part of Deen is not is not an ally. So we just need to be wary of that at all times. So again, we must just accept that we must stand together when you know when the need arises, and we then have to do whatever we can to protect our Deen. Mm, about then there, as you said, uh, the subtle quality comes in again. Uh, but you know, 
Islam teaches you to even defend yourself, you know, when uh, uh, these aggressors get, uh, because if you keep quiet and, uh, you know, you don't do anything about it, but, it, you know, we've been, uh, I'm glad it's been shown in public, uh, like uh, people like Yawur Beg and uh, some uh, responsible leaders coming out there and, you know, putting the whole story on uh, public platform by saying, you know, but show restraint, don't fall into the trap. This is what they're looking for. This is what the West is looking for. This is what the RSS is looking for because they can get away whatever you know mayhem they are uh, perpetrating. They have the blessing of the devils. But you Muslims, you do one thing wrong, and the whole world will report on that, uh, Mahmoud. Yeah, exactly. So we are under scrutiny all the time, and um, that's I mean, that's quite correct. So I mean, if a law enforcement agent doesn't give you protection at a critical time. Uh, then I mean, then then I mean, what is the difference of of calling him a terrorist? Because he's now basically allowing people to commit terror, so he becomes part of that terror organization. So I mean, so indirectly they become terrorists. And in a case like this as well, I mean, it's it, it's very probable that one could have a cause of action against the government for any harm that is suffered by people who are injured in these kind of things. Because if there is a law enforcement agent there. Um, and 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 he's he's obviously uh, employed to do a certain uh, job, and if he doesn't, and if it's done willfully, then you know there there could be a kind of a civil claim against the government arising, you know, from that kind of inaction as well. So so that is something that people need to explore. If there are if there is any harm or damage caused to any person or property, then there could be a kind of a claim that could be instituted in a case like that. Absolutely. And then uh, moving back to our country, where we find uh, the former president, uh, Jacob Zuma, uh, he's going after the press and uh, the certain journalists uh, that he wants to take her to court. And, uh, well, and the, you know, the, the, the press and the editors forum and so forth, even international press have come uh, forth and told uh, Zuma, please uh, don't do this. Uh, you are infringing on uh, freedom of the press. What's your thoughts, uh, Mahmoud? You know the thing is that when a person is when a person is doing wrong or a person has done wrong, and then he will do everything in his power to obviously to 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 protect himself. And I mean this is again just a a typical example of that. Um, I think that all this inelegance of Zuma has been exposed tremendously. I mean he's been I mean he would be regarded as a father of the downfall of South Africa, you know, in terms of, of our economy and and everything else. And he's now looking for scapegoats everywhere to try and impute his blame, uh, you know, or to impute his wrongdoing to, to others. So he creates all these smoke strings by trying to blame others. And now, I mean, this issue of trying to cover up what the journalists reveal, uh, I mean, it, 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 it's so, uh, you know, it, it's just something which, uh, you know, one can see that it, it, it's something that is being done without any real good motive. You know, it just shows pure bad faith. And again, just trying to cover up all of his, you know, all of his wrongdoings. Um, and we hope that, I mean, I, I can't see him being successful, you know, in his endeavors, but we hope that, you know, his day comes because, I mean, he's, he's still creating all of these problems. And we just can't understand from a legal point of view, is it, why is it that, you know, his matters just seem to go astray over and over again. It seems like, you know, this is all done by people that are sort of favoring him and there's always some kind of a reason for matters to be postponed and postponed and postponed. Um, and again, but ultimately we hope that, that there would be some kind of justice that will prevail and we hope um, that, you know, that he will, you know, really have to face up to all of his misdoings. You know, we see that now the uh, the NPA is now making more and more 
um, efforts to, to 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 bring to the four people that have done wrong, um, you know, in all these wrong tenders and all the money that has gone astray. But we hope that there'll be success in those prosecutions. You know, our law works at, at too slow a pace. You know, the, the amount of time that it takes just to compile a case is taking too long. The amount of time they're taking just to have people arrested and to get the trial going is taking too long. So, you know, all of these delays just sort of takes out the sort of impetus behind the case, and that and, and that what seems to be the problem. We have to be a bit more robust and, and set down matters, be well prepared, and try and run these cases as quickly as possible so that justice can prevail. Yeah. Hello. To get on, uh, yeah, on the yeah, Mahmoud, are you still there? Yes, I'm Mahmoud. Yes, I can hear. Okay, you. I'll be, yeah, we we lost you for a while there, but you know we'll be uh, be used to this. But I like what you said, and uh, there was also the other scenario. Uh, there was another newspaper that reported on uh, Chief uh, Gacha Butlezi. And, uh, you know, spoke about his history with the apartheid regime and he's done this and that. Uh, he took um, offense to that. And uh, the supporters of his party marched uh, on to that uh, newspaper demanding to meet the writer and, you know, maybe to give him a good hiding. I mean, this is uh, this is not on. It's sad that uh, we, we get things like this. We, we, we get politicians or we get counselors that are being killed every second day in uh, maybe the KZN region because, uh, you know, they have a uh, difference of opinion, but sometimes they are killed by their own uh, party members. Uh, what do you make of uh, this, uh, Mahmoud? Yeah, so, you know, as I said um, a short while ago, the thing is that whenever a, a person has done wrong and those wrongs become exposed, people obviously try and do whatever they can to, to conceal that fault. And I mean, this is the trait of Itsan. That you know, the thing is that we would try and and conceal our wrongs, although we know that, although we know that Allah Taala knows about it, but no one wants to make their wrongs known. And when it does come to the fore, we'll do everything to try and have it concealed. So this is a typical example again of of, of a person um, who who whose roots were not the best, um, but you know, in the post-apartheid, uh, you know, he, he he was a minister, getting all the benefits from the government uh, until today. So for him, um, you know, to now to be exposed, it's obviously not something which he's very proud of. Uh, he's also now so aged in life um, that, you know, I mean, he's obviously just trying to to sort of keep his last twilight years, um, you know, uh, sort of free of all of the scandal. Yeah, yes, uh, Mahmoud, you know, you also find that, uh, yeah, as you said, the twilight of his, he's got this uh, Stalingrad method of, hey, the bigger the delay, the better for me, and maybe I'll get away with it. But, you know, he may get away, maybe he'll make parada from this dunya, Allahu alam. But, uh, you know, we're talking about, and before, you know, when we advertise your show and uh, so forth, I had a messenger that came in on my on my phone, and it was uh, from a brother and he said, uh, please, uh, Shafaz, if uh, you could forward this uh, to, or you could read this on air for our attorney, Mahmoud Mia. He says, I want to know uh, which is better because I'm afraid of land expropriation. I do have a lot of properties, but I want to know from uh, Mahmoud uh, Mia is uh, freedom of property versus sectional title, which is better? 
you know, he's got that land expropriation, I think, worrying him. But then he still asks the question, which is better, freedom of property versus sectional title, which is better? How would you answer him, Mahmoud? No, no. So, so, so um, just to, to, to start off with his last part you know, of the question, look, um, when you own property in South Africa, you either have freehold land or it's part of a sectional title scheme. So there's no real difference except that, I mean, if you're having a freestanding house, for example, it's a standalone uh, property. So, so that doesn't form part of any kind of a body corporate or any sectional title scheme. Um, so, so you, you, you can have ownership of that property or today, I mean, there's a big tendency now to create these clusters in, um, in, 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 in sectional title developments. So there as well, you become the owner of the property and accept that it's part of a bigger scheme and there's certain common areas in that, in the development that belongs to all the owners together. So in terms of expropriation, expropriation can affect both, uh, you know, land uh, held on, on freehold as well as land that is held in any sectional title scheme. So there isn't, you know, there isn't that, that the one will give you more protection against expropriation. The only thing is that in a sectional title scheme, if they expropriate, they're going to expropriate the entire entire development. Um, so, you know, so that is, I mean, how you may be affected. But look, in terms of uh, South African law, currently, I mean, the government doesn't have the right to simply expropriate land without good cause. Um, and even if they do expropriate currently, they have to obviously provide, I mean, a compensation for that. Um, so at this at this moment in time, there isn't any kind of a risk in terms of property being expropriated by the state without cause. Um, so the so the listener doesn't really need to have any concern in that regard currently. And uh, also, you know, to give them a peace of mind, uh, the, uh, the the government will, uh, if they expropriate land, I mean, uh, they will take uh, land more from uh, maybe those big farms or some industrial lands and so forth. Uh, people that are owning homes and all that shouldn't be concerned. And I believe uh, uh, what the people are concerned about, these people that are maybe, uh, you know, owning industrial sites or have farms, is uh, that they should be compensated and government is making, uh, uh, you know, doesn't want to pay them or doesn't want to give them compensation. They just want to expropriate land, if I'm uh, reading that rightly, Mahmoud. No, so, so obviously, I mean, when it comes to expropriation, I mean, it depends what is, what is the purpose behind that expropriation. So um, in most cases, a government will expropriate land um, if uh, they have some, um, some need or some desire to create um, a kind of a new establishment. Um, so if, for example, they want to create um, a kind of a new township to create low-cost housing, for example, or to create housing to give to the people, um, and if that um, land um, the, uh, that is owned by third parties is within that area that is demarcated, in that instance, they may obviously then uh, want to sort of, uh, you know, expropriate the land to facilitate that development that they have in mind. Um, but in in the normal scenario, um, it's very unlikely that they would come to a normal township or to a normal, uh, you know, suburb where people have owned houses to now take away all of those houses um, to, to to knock it down and redevelop it for, for low-cost housing, for example. So that is unlikely to happen. But so a lot depends on what is the, the object and where they want to create these like developments. And if you are part, if you own land, you know, in that particular sector, then it could be that your land could be expropriated. Uh, you know, Mahmoud, I get a, maybe I'm getting a bit paranoid here. Yeah? I'm living in an area which is in a very 
it's known as the South Basin, which is a very important industrial area. Then Amount Assembly is there. And uh, recently they were thinking about expanding the harbor. And as I said, if they're expanding the harbor and maybe they will come and say, right, we need this section, we need this section, and maybe your section too. So in other words, I mean, my parents lived here and this place is, uh, you know, we've been paying rates for maybe, if you heard in totality, maybe 50, 60, 100 years. Uh, all that is down the drain. They can just come, okay, we're expropriating because we're going to develop here, we're going to get the harbor mouth better, bigger, and this and that, move out. What do you do then, uh, Mahmoud? No, no, well, look, I mean, one can always challenge um, any kind of an, uh, you know, any kind of an order to sort of expropriate. I um, mean, there's a process that that precedes expropriation. There has to be proper, uh, I mean, like discussion, proper uh, disclosure, and obviously you would have a right to sort of object to it and to air your views. So again, you know, ultimately the question will 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 say what you know what is going to be in the best good of the people as such. So if this kind of development is necessary to create better employment, better opportunities, and because it's essential to the growth of the country or something, then in, in those kind of cases, I mean, you know, the, the courts would basically approve uh, expropriation, provided obviously that you are properly, I mean, like, compensated. So I understand that sometimes there is a, um, uh, you know, a, a kind of an attachment to a property for whatever reason, but ultimately, I mean, you know, those kind of, uh, you know, the, the emotional factors, um, you know, is not something which will play a, a kind of a major role. You can't say, well, because it belongs to my parents and my grandparents, I want to still retain it. Ultimately, if you are going to be uh, compensated adequately to enable you to relocate without much of a fuss or without too much of input, then that wouldn't be a case of being totally unfair. Mm, and you know, as you're talking about thinking about the poor Palestinians, you know, this illegal settlements uh, that uh, the Zionist regime has put in that Gaza Strip and, you know, coming and uh, mowing down or taking away the the, the, the olive plantation and the vines and on and so forth. Uh, how sad that is. I mean, they just come and bulldoze them and they, they, do they give them an alternative there, Mahmoud? Any idea? No, no. I mean, I mean obviously living in Israel is, is something which is something that we would never be able to appreciate. I mean, there there is there's no voice for the people. Basically, we just, we just have to succumb um, to the laws, um, you know, of those that are there in power right now. So that, I mean, that's clearly a case of sort of major exploitation. Uh, there's no human rights. There's no concern about the welfare of people. I mean, that is something which is uh, which is so unbecoming, you know, of 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 the world order today. But yet, people are still allowing it to happen because why? Israel is obviously the the children of the powers of, of you know the U.S. And, and and so forth. So they really don't scrutinize the actions of. Uh, of people of um, you know of Palestine, so unfortunately, you know, in that country, people can't take any kind of action or voice any kind of opposition to these acts of expropriation. Mm. Mm. Sad indeed, and uh, you know, earlier on you spoke about uh, the NPA and you know going for culprits of uh, those uh, that have done looting and uh, uh, defrauding the country and so forth. But uh, there's allegations uh, that the uh, uh, the judiciary of this country and the law enforcement is uh, compromised and uh, that presently what we see is that Jacob Zuma using, I mean, I'm not Jacob Zuma, the uh, Cyril Ramaphosa using uh, the law enforcement to do his bidding so that he can get rid of his opponents and have uh, himself elected squeaky, you know, clean or easily. What's your thoughts on that? 
Well, again, I mean, like, politics is never a clean game, and one never really knows until there's going to be a proper exposure, you know, at some point in time. So the thing is that, I mean, you know, um, in South Africa, we've, we've learned so much now recently that people were using, um, you know, the, the 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 arms of the law for their own own ulterior purposes. I mean, and, and that is so sad because, I mean, you know, in South Africa, we're supposed to have had a kind of a pure separation of, of you know, of all the different sectors uh, in terms of the judiciary and the legislature and, uh, you know, and the law enforcement agencies. But here, you know, again, that, that corrupt thing has become so intense that it's even filtered down to the, you know, to the policeman on the street. So anybody's prepared to do anything just to get some kind of kickback or to get some kind of a benefit. So this is all part of a scheme because if the president can secure his his position, then he's promised everybody else. And, you know, so I mean, like, that's the way it goes. You know? So unfortunately, it's something we hope that they take action against. You know, at the end of the day, if we can't get rid of this corruption and if we can't take out all these bad elements, it's really going to be a problem for our country going forward. Because we can't go forward unless people come clean, unless there's going to be honesty and integrity, um, and you know we all act for the betterment of you know of the country as a whole. If that is absent, then unfortunately, you know we're just going to go from bad to worse. Mm. And uh, we also had another message on our WhatsApp here. It said, uh, "Brother Shafaatha, please uh, discuss with the Mahmud Mia the never-ending syndicates uh, selling passports and identities in South Africa. And unfortunately, these syndicates happen to be um, Pakistanis and uh, some Bangladeshis involved. But uh, it seems as if they just uh, uh, get away with impunity because they have the bucks, they have the money. And if they go to court to, uh, they have the best lawyers and they come out scot-free. I see that scot-free is being used quite uh, liberally this evening. But uh, perhaps, you know, these syndicates or these mafias that are running this passport, selling of passports and so forth, and identity documents, uh, they really have, uh, you know, lots and lots of uh, cash on them, uh, Mahmoud. Yeah, look, the thing is, the, the proceeds of of unlawful activities is, uh, is is always in abundance <laughs> because, I mean, they're obviously doing everything wrong. There's no taxes. There's sort of nothing done. So the thing is that, I mean, you know, the, the, they always have money available because they're dealing in illegal uh, affairs. Now, if people know that people are dealing with these things, you know, unlawfully, then I think sometimes they have to go to the authorities and bring it to their attention. There's no use we keep on complaining that it's, it's, you know, this group of people or that group of people. If we know that they are doing wrong and they're causing harm to the country, then we need to go to the law enforcement agencies and bring it to their attention so that this can come to a stop. Because if you look at the South African context right now, uh, in terms of if people, are, if people are buying passports and visas and, uh, and buying permits, it's only because they want to uh, have a right to stay in South Africa for whatever reason that may be. And that creates a problem because we're now having more and more immigrants who are illegal, and this is creating tension with with local people. And ultimately, the result is that there's an you know there's an extra and overuse of our infrastructure, um, and those people are not contributing at all. And the local people then feel threatened by that, and that's why we have things like xenophobia rising. So it's things that we have to deal with proactively. If we feel that. Um, you know, if people become into the country legal and we know that they're coming in as responsible uh, servants of the state and they are going to be contributing to the coffers of the state, 
then we've got no problem with that because then they can enjoy all the benefits, you know. But the thing is that we have to start taking action, you know, in this regard. We keep on just complaining, nothing's going to happen, you know. Yeah, you know, Mahmoud, uh, some people may tell, uh, you know, but Mahmoud, we go to the law enforcement and we, uh, we go and report them. Nothing is done because you look at the, at home affairs, uh, so many officials have been uh, implicated, you know, making these documents, uh, selling it uh, for meager sums, uh, some for 300 grand, uh, but the going price maybe five grand and so forth. Uh, there is a stupendous problem in this country. We need to clean out uh, our, you know, our entities. I mean, uh, uh, state uh, state uh, uh, delivering, uh, you know, the, the important thing like uh, home affairs being compromised, and even the minister will tell you he's having, uh, he's really having a hard time. Even the border control, there's absolutely no control. It's all uh, these people are all viable. Uh, what do you do then? No, look, I mean, the thing is that you have, you obviously have, uh, I mean, like steps of law enforcement. So if you go to your local police station, if that doesn't work, if the person can't take the, you know, to open a charge, then you need to see somebody more senior within, you know, within that particular police station. If that doesn't work, then you need to obviously write to the like commissioner or whatever. So you have to try and then go to the higher authorities. Look, this is happening. And then obviously, I'm mean, going to get the media involved. So listen, we're trying to open cases. This is what is happening. Um, and, and, and once these things become exposed, then they're forced to react. They can't keep on not doing anything, you know. So if we just go once and if we then just back down, uh, that obviously won't 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 get us very far. So we've got to be persistent um, and try and get a response somewhere down the line. So that way, there somebody has to be brought to accountability. Mm, yeah, this uh, you remind me of an article I read uh, earlier, uh, you know, this morning, where there was this lady. She went to a police station and. Uh, she was hit so badly she needed stitches, but she was crying, and she was crying and giving. Uh, but she said the the, the police or uh, you know people in 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 that uh, station they said hey this is not a crash don't come and cry please go away, and uh, she 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 subsequently put her message on the Twitter and it then caught the attention of a very high ranking uh, police official, and now only now they are dealing with the issues. But at that time, look at how insensitive are these. Uh, police officers were in the police station. They told her this is not a crash. I mean, uh, if it wasn't for what she did in social media, her case, uh, I mean, uh, she would have been, uh, you know, uh, uh, suffering in silence, uh, Mahmoud. Yeah, exactly. So that's why the thing is that one must never sort of back down from, 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 from you know, from being part of, of, uh, of, of you know, trying to do right. So whether it's wrong, report it. It doesn't work. Take it to the high authority and just be I mean, like persistent. So hopefully that will yield some kind of a result at some point in time. Well, uh, Mahmoud, uh, I can tell you a lovely, lovely evening in your company. Although the gremlins are trying to get to us, uh, but Alhamdulillah, your disposition, you know, kept them in abeyance. Yeah, they were trying to get us, but you made sure. Hey, we got our show done. Mahmoud, uh, your parting words uh, this evening. Inshallah, we hope that this darkness ends, uh, I think, both literally and, and figuratively. Uh, literally, that this whole load-sharing thing can, can come to an end. Um, and then in terms of, you know, the other way, the darkness that that all the forces against us, uh, you try to harm our deen, Allah Ta'ala, inshallah, keep us protected against them, and that we also learn how to make effort. Um, so we need to understand that we need to spread the nur of Allah all over the world. So we almost make effort to remind each other of why Allah Ta'ala has created us, what is our purpose on this earth, and inshallah to make effort to see how our deen can become dominant in the world.
Amin, so Amin to that. What a beautiful way of uh, ending off and uh, being a realist. Uh, Mahmoud, you have a blessed evening ahead. We'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi Yes, sir, people, time for us to go for the Isha Azan, and inshallah we will continue after that.